Hey, I'm Blake Francis. I'm a millennial and I've never listened to a podcast in my life. So the only comical thing to do is to create a series of audio goodness where I have a yarn to some interesting people I've met in my time. And the challenge is I'm rallying my co-hosts using only the mate's currency, a slab of beverages. Strap yourselves in because who knows where this could go. It's Best Mates with Blake. Yeah, g'day. It's Blake Francis here on Best Mates with Blake. I'm so stoked that we have gotten this far through the season. When I set out to do this podcast, I wanted to get people on, like I said, that I've met before. And sometimes that's super easy because I could be really close friends with them or it could be someone I haven't talked to in a while. And my guest on today's episode, I have met before, Rex Lee. Welcome to Best Mates with Blake. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Ah, so Rex, you and I go back. It is, I think, one degree of separation if you want to uh, work on the six degrees. So it was a funny story. We have a mutual friend, Ryan. And when I was traveling through America a couple of years back for six weeks, I ended in LA. I was by myself. I had no one there. I was on the end of my trip and I... I had one night in LA. And so Ryan did his Ryan thing and he talked to uh, some people that he knew, i.e. one of them being you. And you were so gracious and so nice to actually come and meet me without Ryan there. Ryan was not in LA. We had, it was basically a blind friendship date um, (laughs) over at the Onyx uh, rooftop, I believe it was, in Santa Monica. And I just thought, oh my God, you are an amazing human because as adults, I just don't think that <laughs> happens anymore. Is that like, how many people do you do that with? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I, it's not unheard of in my life. I've received messages like the one I received from him saying, someone I know is in your town. Will you meet with him or her? That's happened before. It doesn't happen a lot, but it happens. I was super excited because for anyone who doesn't know Rex, Rex is uh, living in LA. He's uh, an actor. He's been, I'm just going to quickly run through some of the things you've done. You've been on uh, Suburgatory. You've done an episode of Glee, a few episodes of Fresh Off the Boat with Randall Park and Constance Wu, who are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, You've been on Young and Hungry for a few years with Emily Osman, but the one that people will definitely know you from is Entourage. Uh, you were Lloyd, the Gaijin assistant to Ari Gold, and ah, oh, it was such an amazing uh, experience getting to have you come over and and meet me. And then we just drank. We just drank for like four or five hours into the night on the rooftop. It was great. Yes, but I will say that you know. Uh... You fulfilled the Aussie stereotype, and I think you drank a little bit more than I did. <laughs> oh, well, maybe put that down to nerves. Put that down to nerves. But no, we did have a... We had a really fun time, um, and it was so... I was so happy that you could uh, come and meet me because, yeah, for that one night in LA, I had a friend, and uh, and look at us now, a couple of years later, um, you're such a gracious, amazing person for saying yes to come on and, and essentially fill the dream uh, that I had for this project. So um, that's how we met. Basically, let's go all the way back to when you were growing up. So you were born in Ohio, and did you, did you have any... Uh, 
aspirations or what was your career goal when you were a super young kid growing up? But was it an actor? Was it musician? Was it painter? What was it for you? The truth is the very first thing I ever told myself I wanted to be when I was a kid was an actor. When I was three years old, I would play with my friends and we would reenact things that we had seen on the television the night before. Normally, I talk about where I was, like the path I was on, realizing I was on the wrong path and then realizing I wanted to be an actor and, and thinking to myself, oh, that's what I always thought I wanted to be when I was a kid. But you're, you're, you asked it the different, the, the other way. You asked me what I wanted to be when I was a kid and I wanted to be an actor. So now I can go back to sort of like my stock answer, which is I allowed myself to sort of be influenced off of that path for a while. I knew I wanted to be an actor when I was a kid. And the message I got from everyone around me was, this is not something that will ever happen. So therefore, you should get that out of your mind. Um, and I did. I, I, I don't know what I wanted to do, but I was really thinking about it a lot. You know, my dad's a doctor and I knew my parents wanted me to be a doctor. So I really thought about medicine and, uh, yeah, it wasn't that hard of a decision to say, wow, I really don't want to do that. And, you know, there were all kinds of other things that my parents probably would have loved, like, I don't know, a lawyer or an accountant. I don't know. But my parents were not thrilled about anything artistic at all. Um, now, interestingly, uh, by the end of uh, high school, I, I decided to go to music school. And uh, it was at music school that I again, said to myself, what are you doing? Why are you at music school? You do not want to be a professional musician. And so I put on the brakes, I stopped. Uh, and then, you know, within a year, I, I, I had taken my very first acting class. And then the light bulbs went off in my head. And I said, this is what you always said you wanted to do when you were a kid. And I think you were right back then. I think this is the path to go down. So uh, it took me a while to find the right path, but I'm glad I did. So when you said you knew you wanted to be an actor or you were at least expressed when you were a kid, what made you say that? Was it something you were watching on TV or even an eyed, an actor or an actress that you saw and you were like, I want to do what they do? Like, what was the clicking moment? Well, <laughs> I mean, the funny thing about talking about this now is when I think back to my th three-year-old self, I didn't understand what acting was at all. And so, yes, of course, I can tell you that when I was three years old, I told myself I wanted to be an actor. But the truth is, what I thought it was and what I what I now think it is are completely different things. And yet, I'm still really excited by being an actor. So when you said you obviously came out and said that you want to be an actor and your parents weren't fully on board with creative arts of any sort. Did you feel going through primary school or high school, was that constant pressure always there to, in a layman's terms, like not follow what you wanted to do and kind of conform to what your parents wanted to do? Did you feel that constant pressure as you were growing up? Yeah, I felt pressure and, and honestly... I guess I always knew that I had a choice how I was going to respond to the pressure. I could either conform to the pressure and become a doctor, or I could say, wow, you know, you, you've clearly made your 
desires known to me, and now I reject your desires and your pressure, which is ultimately what I had to do. I mean, when I went to music school, my parents weren't excited about that either, but, uh, you know, I have an older sister, and she wanted to be a singer, and, you know, in many ways, she paved the way. She was a little bit more headstrong than I am, and and she was never going to be deterred from what she wanted to do. This is so shady. I can't believe I'm saying this. My sister did not become a professional singer. She does not make her living as a singer. But in any case, when she was a teenager and she told her our, our parents she was going to do what she wanted to do, it helped me out immensely. By the time I said I wanted to go to music school, they just sort of threw up their hands and said, do what you want. And then and by the time I really said, hey, I finally figured it all out. I'm going to be an actor. By that point, they, you know, they'd heard it all. They didn't care. They just sort of shrugged. And, you know, I don't, I don't even think I got much response from them when I said I wanted to be an actor. I mean, I'm really good at reading their minds. And so I could look into their eyes and, and know that what they were thinking was, yeah, that is never going to happen. And, uh, you know, in, in, in a small way, my, my, my desire for professional success really, you know, was in part a desire to prove my parents wrong so yeah and and with that pressure and desire as you grew up and you obviously became more of an adult and making more informed choices did you ever get the sense and even now are they fully on board with your end occupation or do you still think in the back, back, back of their mind, do you get the feeling that even, like, not just you, but you and your sister, how she expressed she wants to do something creative as well? Do you think that they fully approve still of your career choice? I, I think they approve now, yes. It helped that I got jobs and that I worked. I mean, the truth is, <laughs> before Entourage, I had small acting jobs, and my parents weren't very impressed by that. And then, uh, not to, whatever, not to, not to dig up too many skeletons in the closet, but you know, when I booked Entourage, I was actually in, um, I was actually in a weird period, not so weird, where I wasn't talking to my mom. <laughs> and so, when I got this wonderful job, because I wasn't talking to her, I didn't tell her I got the job. And so, the truth is, my parents didn't know that I was on Entourage for a few years. Like, they, they just had no idea. To to them, they thought I was still, you know, an unemployed actor because I just didn't bother telling them otherwise. Uh, and then they found out by mistake. There used to be a show on TV in the U.S. called Lost. Did you, did you get Lost? Yes. 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 Very aware of Lost and how it didn't end well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to comment on that, but I was at an award show and I was walking behind the Korean girl from Lost and they were taking her picture, and I was walking behind her. And that photo made it into the Korean newspaper. And so my mother, who was who I was not talking to at the time, called up my sister and said, I, I think there's a picture of him in the paper. And my sister came over and looked at the, at the picture, and my mom was like, why is he at this show where the Korean girl is? And my sister was like, oh, well, he's on a show too, and people know who he is. And I, I mean, even then, I'm not even sure my parents believed that people knew who I was. Wow, that's that's 
incredible. How many, you said it was a couple of years. At what do you reckon season of Entourage do you think the penny dropped? Oh, um, I'm going to say probably around season four or five or six. Like it took that long for me to, you know, my parents live in a suburb of Los Angeles. So it took that long for me to like go have dinner with them in their town it took that long for someone in their town to recognize me while we were at dinner and say, aren't you the guy from Entourage? And I was like, yes. And I think that was, you know, the first time some stranger recognized me in front of my parents, they were like, oh, wow, people really do know who he is. So That's so interesting when you know that Entourage ran for, I believe, seven seasons and then a movie. Well, it ran, for, well. it ran for eight. I was on the last oh, seven of the eight. Oh god! Well, look, they're the only—they're the only seven I remember—is the ones with you in it. So it's fine. Um, <laughs> but what's also funny is you said you went to music school, so you obviously suppressed that love for acting or that aspiration to be an actor for a while, and then you decided to pursue another creative arts avenue in music. What was it? that you wanted to get out of music and why did you choose to go into studying music if you wanted a different career? Hmm, that's a good question. I, the truth is I didn't know, when I went to music school, I didn't know I wanted a different career. Like I had convinced myself that playing music and becoming a musician was going to satisfy my creative urges. You know, a couple things happened. The first is, I will be the first to admit, I am not a world-class musician. <laughs> I'm a decent musician. Like, you know, when I was, uh, you know, between the age of 6 and 18, I was pretty good compared to, you know, the person next to me. But when I went to music school, I learned a few things. I learned that I wasn't serious about music in the way that other people are. And I learned that I wasn't that good. You know, there were people that, you know, just were obviously way better musicians than I was. And that was, in its own way, hard information to take in, but I did because there was no denying it. Um, so yeah, so then when I quit music, I I started taking dance classes, and for a split second, I was known at that college as a dancer. I do not have a typical dancer body, and that really made life difficult for me. But as I say, I took the first acting class, and I ended up where I was supposed to end up, and that is great. Um, when I first came back to L.A., after getting my degree and realizing I wanted to be an actor... I started studying with an acting teacher, and um, I, I kept talking to him about how I felt like I had failed at, at music school. And he kept saying, well, why are you framing it that way? Why don't you reframe it? Why don't you think of yourself as being successful at figuring out that what you're supposed to be doing is, is being an actor, as opposed to thinking about how you failed as a musician? And, I mean, it took me a long time to really train my brain to think like that. You, you'd think it would be simple, but it wasn't. But I eventually did convince myself that I had succeeded in becoming an actor as opposed to failing at being a musician. At what point was that 
click for you? Was it after you booked a couple of small jobs? Was it when you moved to LA to actually go, oh, I'm actually actioning what I want my dream to be and my career to be? When was, to use the phrase again, when was that penny drop moment for you? Honestly, I'm not sure there was a penny drop moment. I think it was just a gradual process of retraining my brain and and making it think a new thought. It wasn't a false thought, it was a true thought, but I had to sort of train myself to recognize that that there was a truth that that was complementary to me as opposed to putting myself down. So, with that in mind, moving away from music and wanting to move to LA because you studied music still in Ohio, yeah? Um yes. <laughs> Sorry, that's another weird misleading fact about my life. I was born in Ohio, oh. Oh. but I didn't live there very long. When I w- when we were a year old, we moved to Boston. And then when we were nine, when I was 9, we moved to a suburb of Los Angeles. So going to uni in Ohio was a weird coincidence because I happened to have been born there. So yes, I studied music in Ohio, but prior to studying music in Ohio, I hadn't been there in a very long time. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. And so when you when you obviously, uh, you said you were nine when you moved to LA, and you've obviously gone back to Ohio to do some study, and then decided to come back, obviously, to LA. That's such a big move to me to give your dream a shot and had you had any uh, acting experience or any leads into Hollywood to put a word on it when you made that move back to LA did you know how you were going to do this no absolutely not (laughs) Um, I had no leads I had no direction I had no plan I had no idea I, I just had the vague dream of moving to L.A. I mean, you know, don't forget, my parents already lived in a suburb of L.A., so in a way was getting a degree and moving home. But you're right. It was it was significant that I was whatever. I mean, it was just, you know, a happy situation that home was also a good place to go if I wanted to be an actor. Uh, but no, I had no plan. And, uh, you know, when I think back at my at my early years of trying to break into the business, the truth is I could have used a plan. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I made I made a lot of mistakes. I I did a lot of things that didn't have any sort of forward momentum to them. Like I just sort of spun my wheels for a while. But like anything, you learn from doing, you learn from your mistakes. And so there were definitely, there were definitely things I tried that didn't work. And I learned from the fact that they didn't work. And, and anybody's path in, in Hollywood is, is different from anyone else's path. And, and so sometimes the things you try to do that work for you, they might not necessarily work for other people. But, like, if I meet a young actor and they say, what's the plan? What are the leads? What are the ideas? I have ideas. They might not work for everybody, but I have ideas. And and the thing that I point out to young actors is, okay, now that you've listened to me, now that I've told you all my ideas, 
go find someone else who knows who thinks they know what they're talking about and ask them what their ideas are like pick everyone's brain that's the smartest thing you can do find the people who are successes in your eyes and pick their brains you know and and uh by the way i i still that's still sort of my approach to everything like there are people who have achieved things that i haven't in acting and anytime i get to pick their brain i do i say tell me what's next for me if i feel stuck at this level how do i get to the next level i i hope that i never stop learning that no absolutely uh what were your jobs then growing up in la and whilst you were trying to break onto the scene what were your casual jobs in hollywood i didn't have that many of them the first job is is odd i uh there was this famous legal case in los angeles the owners of a daycare center though this is so horrible i can't believe i'm talking about this the owner the owners of this daycare center were accused of child molestation what a happy topic to bring up anyway (laughs) anyway um okay now i'll be honest with you i'm a little bit unclear on the details here there was this group i want to say it was technically a non-profit organization and they were raising funds for one side of this lawsuit and to this day i'm not clear on what side they were supporting <laughs> so i don't anyway they would make they would cold call people and they would get these people to promise to donate money now <laughs> I'm feeling very old. This was before this was before the internet existed and therefore they needed to like have people drive to these people's homes and pick up their actual checks. And that was my job. I drove to people's homes and I'd say, "Oh, you promised, you know, this money. I'm here to pick up the check." Now, as I say, I can't remember what side of the lawsuit we were supporting. And I don't think that the people that were donating the money necessarily understood it either, because sometimes they would be like, oh, you're do, you're doing such good work. Here's my money. You know, God bless you. But then there would be people that were like, I don't know, they 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 lured me there and they just wanted to yell at me about the lawsuit. And I'd be like, I'm a kid. This is my job to pick up your check. Are you really going to give me a check? Because I think you're just yelling at me. And so maybe if you're not going to give me a check, I'll just leave. I think they just wanted to yell at somebody about something. I wish I could remember what what we stood for. But, you know, they either wanted to yell at me about how clearly those people were molesters, or they wanted to yell about me about clearly how they weren't, and therefore it was so unfair that they were being accused that's an interesting job. <laughs> and then I'm I'm hoping, please tell me you then just went and worked at In and Out or something. So a much lighter job. <laughs> no, okay, so I, I had another job and, and it's it's kind of related to acting, but it's not that lucrative. I worked for a children's theater company, so we would go to schools and do plays for kids. And the plays were very uh they always had a message. <laughs> so that was interesting. And then when I was working for this children's theater company, I met a couple of actors who worked there who had a job at a very famous 
chain of coffee houses. Uh, and then, interestingly, in the same way that the children's theater job led to the coffee house job, the coffee house job led to a job working as an assistant to commercial casting directors. And that seemed like a good job to have. Almost everybody that worked there uh, that wasn't a casting director was an actor like me. So everyone was trying to be an actor. And then, after five years of being an assistant to a commercial casting director... I auditioned to play the role of an assistant to an agent. And so I was like, oh, look at me. I did five years of research for this role without knowing I was doing it. And it was very helpful. Fantastic. And I did learn that uh, the way you got the audition, was that a little sketchy? Was that Did you do a little something that you weren't probably meant to? Yes. I I often, for the sake of comedy, tell people, that I did something really illegal. And I think technically I did. There's a, there's a guy. Do you know what the breakdowns are? Uh, I have heard of him, yeah. It's kind of like, not a, a run sheet type thing or a casting sheet. Yeah. Back in the day, the studios would send messengers to the agents of these actors. And they'd say, okay, well, we're shooting, you know, a movie about World War Two, And uh, so we need... Five men who are Caucasian between the age of 19 and 25, and one of them has to be blonde and four of them have to be brunette, you know. So they would send messengers to all the agents with this information, and then the agents would say, okay, well, you know, here's my client, and he looks like Blake Francis, and he's this tall, and he has this color hair, blah, blah, blah. And then at some point, somebody said, why don't I create a service where... Studios don't have to send messengers with this information. I'll collect the information and then give it to all the agents, and then the agents can submit their clients. Um, and those are the breakdowns. So the guy that owned the breakdowns had a monopoly on the breakdowns, and you weren't supposed to be able to get them unless you worked for an agency or a management company. And so I joined this group of actors and we had a fake management company. I happened to join this group right at the moment when the casting world for film and TV was switching over to electronic submissions. Um, so it was one thing to be in this group that was getting the, the breakdowns illegally, but then also in order to become a group that could also submit ourselves electronically, we had to jump through even more hoops to prove that we were a real company when, in fact, we were not. So there were things we had to do that were that legitimized us, but we did it. And so luckily, you know, when the breakdown for Entourage came out, I saw it and I read it and I thought, well, how is that not me? And so and so I submitted myself and I got an audition and the rest is history. Wow. That's such a that's such a cool journey. And like we were talking about earlier, you just had to take that moment. Uh, this was your one sort of chance and everything you had done leading up to that, like you said, with your casual jobs, one thing led to another and it's just meant to be. Uh, you know, it seems like you're a person that if it's meant to work out, it will work out. And for you, very, very thankful that it did work out because then it brought you to all of our screens uh, as Lloyd on Entourage and it was absolutely amazing. Um, that character 
is so, so funny. And the combination between yourself and Jeremy Piven, who plays Ari Gold, is probably one of the most iconic television duos, I will say, in history. It is so much fun. And if anyone has not watched Entourage, please go and watch it. It is one of the best shows ever. Now, jumping into that character, I guess, did you know what you were going to get into in terms of the, uh, let's put it lightly, verbal abuse from Ari Gold's character? Like, when you actually read for it, or did you read for it in your audition, was there any of those moments in that reading and you knew about it or you just completely were in the dark? I don't, I don't recall if there was anything that the Ari character directly said to my character. You know, if you think back to the very first episode that I appear in, I don't actually have a scene with Ari. I have a scene with all the boys. And then the boys go into Ari's office and they have a meeting with him. But my scene is not with Jeremy in that episode. But in that episode, I have my scene and then, and then Vince and E go into Ari's office. And they have a small conversation about me. And Ari says, oh, did you meet Lloyd? You know, and then he says something like, oh, he meets these quotas, you know, that he's Asian and gay. And even though it's not like abusive language and it's not directed at me, it gave me an inkling of, you know, how this person, this character, how he might regard my character. And so there was a clue there. But, uh, yeah, I don't think it was until later in that season that he started to say things to me more directly. Was there a moment where in the character and yourself, a, a gay Asian, is was that scary at all going into that role and, I guess, representing that group of people? Uh, well, it wasn't scary because I wasn't thinking along those lines at all. If you recall, I was a long-time struggling actor. I was happy to have a job. I saw the first season of Entourage, and I loved it, so it was a cool job. At the time, I was like, this is the coolest job I've ever had as an actor. And it was, at the time. Um, and so, no, I didn't... I, I mean, it sounds silly now, but at the time... I didn't think of myself as a representative of Asians. I didn't think of myself as a representative of gays. I just thought, I'm little old me, and they gave me this job, and the character is gay and Asian, just like me. Cool. I know how to be gay. I know how to be Asian. Done. <laughs> so great. Um, and... Obviously, after I said at the top of the uh, episode, some different roles that you've been on, you did Entourage, ran for, as you said, eight seasons, a movie finished off with an amazing movie that really encompassed everything that Entourage was and what the whole show was. Uh, and then you moved on to Young and Hungry, which is something you did for a few years, uh, which is with uh, Emily Osman, who for people who don't know who Emily Osman is, if you ever watched Hannah Montana, she was... Miley Cyrus's best friend. How was going from a probably a multi-camera real I would say real life in quotation marks kind of production to what looks like a set production, right? 
So, you know, it's funny that you called Entourage a multi-camera more real thing because technically in, uh, in, in TV, Entourage is considered single camera, oh. even though there are two cameras. <laughs> but, oh, but, but the show, Young and Hungry, the set show, you're right. We shot that on a set. And that's called multi-camera because there were four cameras. Um, you know, honestly, the, the transition was not as easy for me as you would think. Um, it took a while for me to get used to the idea that uh, I was on a comedy that included jokes. Because Entourage is funny, but the comedy comes from the characters and the situations. And, and sometimes they say funny things, but they're not jokes. They're not, I'm saying this, I'm setting it up, and now I said that, and that's really funny. Like, it's not that at all. But uh, but there was a transition for sure. There was a lot of sort of figuring some stuff out in my mind. Got to be uh, adaptive to your environment. You just got to do it. How was it working with Betty White? Because she had a guest spot on uh, one of the episodes as well. That was, in my head, that would be another little dream box achieved. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, I want to say that that uh, Carl Reiner was in that episode as well. And so between the two of them, you know, both being, I'm pretty sure he was also in his nineties at the time. The, the stories they had were amazing. It, it was sort of overwhelming to think about who they were and what they meant to television. So that's amazing. I am so glad that you've been able to play the characters that you have on all of these TV shows that, that we all know and love. Now, I want to get to know you a little bit better, and there's a thing that I do here called the Best Mates Quiz. Best Mates Quiz. Best Mates Quiz. Yeah. The Best Mates Quiz is a really short 10-question fire round of this or that, or like would you rather type questions. And if you do have an opinion on any of the answers as to why you've chosen that, I'm more than happy to hear it because I love a good story behind... uh, behind these answers so number one only have one for the rest of your life music or tv uh that's a hard one but i'll say music you know i mean i love watching tv and i find it entertaining but i do think that music is uh has more power over me like music is really i i can be moved by music a little bit easier than tv of course of course i I think it has that effect on a lot of people uh, as well. Quite a quite an emotional journey, I feel. Music can be uh, a bit more than TV. Um, cardio or weights? I don't. I don't hate either of them. I'll be honest with you. I I have more of a motivation to do cardio than I than than I actually do, and that's because. Oh, I'm making excuses. I, I injured myself a few years ago, and I haven't really recovered. I have an appointment with the doctor on Monday because I need to go back to physical therapy. We'll leave it at that. That uh, <laughs> you were a, you were a budding budding professional, and <laughs> you've uh, been struck down with injury. Let's uh... let's uh, <laughs> let's go with that. Um, uh, are you a morning or night person? Night for sure. Night. Fantastic. Ice coffee or hot coffee? Hot coffee. Can't stand ice coffee. I think it's disgusting. That was... <laughs> it was very definitive. Um, spirits, straight or mixed? 
mixed. I'm not, you know, I'm not that much of a drinker. I don't love the taste of spirits, and so I need something to help me out. What's your go-to if you had to in a bar? Well, when I was in Australia, you know, I'm not even sure this is like a popular drink in Australia, but when I was in Australia, I would always have um, a Moscow Mule. Yep, that's a good one. Because I don't know why, but you guys have better ginger beer there. Yeah, ginger beer. Ginger beer. That wasn't too bad. Yeah, we got good old Bundaberg uh, ginger beer is probably... Yummy! (laughs) That's great. Uh, Superpower, fly or invisibility? You know what's hilarious about the question you just asked me? I'm on a dating app, and it's like, if you had a superpower, what would it be? And I literally said, flying or invisibility. And so now you're asking me which or which. (laughs) Great. Um, Invisibility. Now, this might be playing into your own home turf, but I wanted to get your opinion anyway. L.A. or New York? Well, for me, L.A., yeah. New York is very – the energy that people appreciate about New York is too much for me. Like, if I lived in New York, I think I'd have an ulcer. Like, it's too – I'm a person who worries. If I lived in New York, I'd be worrying about everything, I think. I, I don't have the right temperament to live there. I love L.A. Watching a movie at home or at a cinema? It depends on the movie. I do enjoy movies in the cinema a great deal, but I also like the freedom of watching it at home and saying, oh, I want something to eat. I'm going to pause and get something to eat. Oh, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm going to pause and go to the loo, you know. I like that freedom, but but some things are meant to be seen on a big screen, so. No, very good. Uh, supermarket, uh, supermarket products, name brand or established brand? What's that? Basically, it's asking, are you cheap or are you expensive? <laughs> I don't want to get any, I don't want to get in trouble. But when I was in Australia, I needed to buy myself, you know, some band-aids, bandages. And I bought the name brand and they weren't good. I'm going to say the latter, the established. Uh, and the last question of the quiz is skydiving or bungee jumping? I've never tried either. I'm more interested in trying skydiving. Yeah, I can uh, say from experience, skydiving is absolutely unreal. And it's something that you'll want to do again and again as soon as you land. And now one uh, final thing before I wrap up the podcast is when I do some research of my co-hosts, I like to really dig deep and find out as much as possible. And that means venturing to parts of the web that people don't normally venture to or what I like to call page two of Google. Page two of Google. So when I typed in Rex Lee into Google and it did come up a clip uh, recently of uh, something you were on called the Victory Podcast. Now, I did a little bit of uh, research and this is a comedy podcast hosted by the people from Entourage. So Doug Ellen, who was the creator, Kevin Connolly, who was E, uh, and Kevin Dillon, who was drama. And you could probably clarify this. It's a comedy podcast, but do they break down and chat to different people that had a tiny hand or a little part on uh, the show, Entourage? That's what I understand it to be. Is that correct? Yes. Some of, some of their episodes are devoted to a specific episode of the show 
and then so for instance i've been on that podcast twice and the first time it was not related to an episode they just wanted to talk to me about me and my experience being on the show and stuff like that uh and then the second time uh jeremy and i were both guests and we were talking about a specific episode yeah no that's that's great it looks like a really cool uh podcast and you actually just said the first time you were on there uh, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. You actually dialed in Jeremy Piven, and he was he was with <laughs> Mike Tyson at the time, uh, smoking some cigars. And uh, then when I watched a little clip of when you and Jeremy were both on the podcast, he said that Mike Tyson was smashing magic mushrooms as well while he was there, and they were having a grand old time. Was that? a bit of a surreal experience and something you didn't plan for well from from my perspective yes of course like i i think i went to that podcast and at some point they said something like jeremy would call in but then when he did and he was with mike tyson it was it was strange it was odd it was very surreal by the way if i can just tell you something about timing the second time that i was on the podcast was 10 days ago and then they edited it, and it was just released like eight days ago. So it's not that far in the past. Yeah, well, it, look, that's what information you get when you go to the second page of Google. It's more current events. <laughs> you don't want to get lost in the 200th page of Google. So No, I I'm didn't. Really I, I mean, that... I thought, I didn't know what you were going to find. But like, for instance, um, do you, do you, uh, do you understand um, about the religion called Mormonism, the Mormons? Mormons. I have, we'll put it this way. I've seen Book of Mormon. Um, it's not a very, <laughs> not That's a very, not uh, no, That's it's not, not a very accurate either. representation. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, um. Uh, yeah, we can we can safely agree that it's not the same thing. Well, I would absolutely love to talk about Mormonism with you and the Book of Mormon, whatever which one you want to talk about. Uh, but we have come to the end of the podcast. Rex, I really want to thank you so much for saying uh, yes to coming on this and having a chat. Uh, you're an amazing human, mate. Thank you so much. You got it. So when do I get my slag of beverages? What's it called again? <laughs> oh man, I was about to say the very, very last thing. The what do you call it? A slag? What is it? What's the what's the word? <laughs> it's a slab. S L A B. A slag is something else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll also delve into what a slag is when we talk about Mormonism, but. Uh, <laughs> No, a slab of beverages. Look, this is the first time uh, it's going to have to go international. I will figure out a way to get you a slab, a carton of drinks to you because that is the promise I make uh, for coming on this podcast. So, mate, thank you so much. Uh, we'll chat after to talk about what drink, but I really appreciate you coming on board, uh, Best Mates with Blake, and I'm so glad to have caught up with you again. So, thank you. Thanks for considering me one of your best mates, dude. 
To catch up on any or all of the Best Mates with Blake episodes, just search Best Mates with Blake wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, to follow along with highlights of the chats, including some clues as to who I might have on the next episodes, follow Best Mates with Blake on Instagram. Cheers.